0: God, we love you. And we're so thankful for uh, this morning. And I say this every week, but it's so true every week, God. I'm so thankful for the privilege of coming in this movie theater and seeing you turn the secular into spiritual. I'm so thankful for the privilege of being able to experience your presence each week and the the privilege of being able to worship the king. Lord, that's, that's an honor for us that we get to worship you. And so thank you for being faithful, and thank you for allowing your presence to come and rest in this place. Lord, I pray that you'll speak through your word this morning, that as we talk about um, unity, both facing the outside world and unity inside the church, Lord, that you will teach us how to be a united church, that you will teach us how to um, just stand together, Lord, in all situations, Father. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So Philippians 1, 27, 2 through 4. And I'm just going to read, and we're going to walk through it. It says, Just one thing, live your life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or or am absent, I will hear about you, and that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents, this is a sign of destruction for them, but of your deliverance. And this is from God for it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him, having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way. Having the same love and sharing the same feeling focused on one goal, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but for the interest of others. So there is a lot packed into this scripture. And it might seem like, because we're going from one chapter to the next, but this, this whole passage actually ties in together. Like this is one thing that Paul's saying. And so we wanted to kind of walk through this section together. And so he starts off in 27 saying, just one thing, live your lives in a manner Worthy of the gospel. So what we see here is Paul shifting. If you've noticed the last few weeks, Paul's been talking a lot about himself as he introduces the letter, right? Like he's been explaining to the Philippians here's my situation, here's, what going on. here's what's going on with me. I'm in prison, but even though he's in prison, he's encouraging them and he's saying, Be encouraged. I'm in prison, but I'm praising God. I'm in prison, but I'm praying for you. I'm in prison, but I'm thinking of you. I'm missing you. And so a lot of it has been Paul focusing on his own circumstances um, and using his own circumstances to edify or build up the Philippians. The Philippian church to encourage the Philippian church. Here we see Paul shifting from himself to talking to the Philippians to their present, their direct situation. And so, are, are there any English majors in the house? I hate English majors. They, I'm the guy that I'm the guy that like if I, there wasn't for autocorrect, I would just look like an idiot all the time. On you know like like I have friends that I text your and they're like that's the wrong way of using your. I'm like well you're an idiot. So. Um, Also, I'm a very sensitive person, Um, but this is, for our English majors, this this 27 that I just read, that's the main idea of the text. That's the main idea of this passage where Paul is saying just one thing. So he's saying there's one thing. I'm about to give you some stuff. I'm going to tell you some things, but the one thing that you need to remember through all of what I'm about to tell you, the one thing is this. Live your life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. One thing, so the main idea, live your life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is his focal point. What he's saying is don't just make a statement about your faith with your words, but let your life make a statement about your faith. Let your life be the thing that that reveals your faith to others, not just what you say. Because we've all met people that say one thing but do another, right? Paul is saying let your life... Be uh, make this statement for you. He's saying the, um, the gospel, our relationship with Jesus, should shape our lives. It should shape how you live. And what's really cool, and it's kind of often lost in the translation from the Greek to the English, I was reading a couple different scholars talking about this, and they're saying that the language that Paul uses here, it's really cool, is the idea of where he says, um, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What he's really kind of the the picture that he's painting is, you're not citizens of this world anymore. You're not citizens of X now. Now you're citizens of heaven. And it's like the language he's using is like a citizenship. Live your life, your citizenship, is kind of what he's saying. Live your citizenship as worthy of the calling that you now have for the gospel of Christ, where you are. So what are you talking about, Mike, right? If you think about um, our citizenship, now we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So what this means is... um, Citizens of heaven, our home being heaven. Since we're citizens of the kingdom of God, we should live our lives like citizens of the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? There are certain attributes that we should carry with us that are godly attributes. So I, think about, I was thinking about the great uh, kingdoms in history. Like you think about, I don't know if it would be considered the great kingdoms, but for me, the, the Vikings, I thought they are pretty cool. Um, you think about the Vikings, or you think about the Roman empor- Empire, or you think of the Egyptian empires, dynasties, you, there's certain characteristics that reveal those places to you, right? Like if you met someone from there or from that time, there's certain characteristics that they would carry with them that would show you this is someone from Egypt, or this is someone, a Viking. Like you think of a Viking, as soon as I say that, there's certain attributes. You're painting a picture of somebody in your head, right? right? Like I think Viking, what are you thinking? Long beard. Um, real, John, John, you're John's a Viking. Um, you think of right? There's certain attributes that you picture in your head, and Paul's saying the same thing for us as Christians. You should, if because we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, there's certain values that should be reflected in that: the way that we love each other, the life that we live, the way that we use our liberty and freedom, the humility that we carry with us should reflect the kingdom that we belong to. We don't belong to the kingdom of. I mean, yeah, we're, you're a citizen of the United States, but our kingdom isn't, our, we're not defined by what the United States is. We're defined by our new kingdom, which is kingdom in Christ. The kingdom of God, meaning our values and our life, should reflect God's values, God's life, what he thinks. And I was, as I was thinking about this, if you're not careful, it can almost feel like a, a weight, don't you think? Like, oh, this weight of, okay, now I have to bear this, this image of this new kingdom that as a Christian, as a Christian, I have to, to reflect, oh, it feels like, but to me, I was thinking about, it doesn't feel, the more I thought about it, the less it felt like a weight and the more it felt like a privilege. What I, what I mean by that is God is saying, Paul is giving us this, this idea in here that, hey, as citizens of heaven, we're reflecting Jesus to the world around us. And so we have this really cool privilege that God is using your life and my life to reflect and reveal himself to everyone that you encounter every day. Or at least that's the way that it should be, right? So if we walk into Starbucks and meet the barista there, we, we meet the people that we work with at, um, or the people that we see at school or whatever, each one of those people that encounter what we should be revealing or what we get the privilege, the opportunity to reveal to them is the kingdom of heaven, man. Isn't that kind of cool? If you think about it in those terms, like God is using you to, re- to reveal himself to other people, to the people that you interact with on a daily basis. That's pretty powerful. And so what Paul is saying here to you is, hey, you're citizens of this new kingdom. Let your lives reflect that. Let your lives reveal that to everyone that you encounter every day. I thought, I thought that was kind of cool. So God is, using his, his, God is working your life to display himself to the world around you. Let us live in that awesome privilege. And so Paul says, says this to them, and he's going to tell them two ways that he expects them to do that, or encourages them to do that in two ways. The first one, he says this, is, is that they'll be united against external pressures. So there's going to be some pressures that's happening in, the, uh, in Philippi, and in the Philippian church, and he's saying that they need to be united against those external pressures, and then also united together internally and care for one another. So moving on, he says... Just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to you and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit. So he's saying, whether I come and get to see you guys again or I just hear about you because I'm going to get letters and whatnot, here's what I want to hear. That you are standing firm with one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. One spirit, one mind, So united, one spirit, one mind, together as a church body, together for what? For one mission, for the faith, for the cause. He's saying, I want you church to stand together as one body for something bigger than yourselves, for a mission that I'm giving you. And I love this because uh, Paul is using this language, it's like a military language. Like The idea is that we would stand side by side, firm, like um, like soldiers almost uh, guarding a post like that we would be determined, that we would be thinking about something bigger than us. And if, if you, you see the context right now, the Philippian church is in a place where they're being persecuted. They're in a place where they're being attacked for their faith. And so Paul is looking at the church and he's saying, church, you're facing opposition. You're facing enemies that want to destroy you. As that is happening, it's so crucial, church, that you stand together side by side. If You almost can just picture soldiers in a fight standing side by side, refusing to move, refusing to be um, Change, refusing to be knocked off their post, together for one mission, for one battle, for one fight, and I love that because if you think about the church, if you think about Christians from the perspective of maybe someone who's not a Christian, you think they think of oftentimes think of Christians as like weak. Or I was thinking about. Um, it's just some guys, or some atheists that I used to read, um, and they would always talk about Christians as how Christians, we just, we're just these wimpy people who just have this deep desire. We need a God to believe. We need some little fairy God to believe in because we're too wimpy to handle life without it. I, I think that's kind of silly, Right? And this cool picture that Paul is seeing of Christians, he's saying, here's what I see when I see Christians. I see people who are standing united, side by side, fighting the fight, battling together for a mission that's bigger than them, for a cause that they're going to have to make sacrifices, but at the end of the day, it's so beautiful and worth it. And I love, I just, I don't know, I was just encouraged when I was reading that. I love that. And Paul also not just uses military language a lot, but he uses like, athletic language a lot you know persevering and and he talks about um uh you know conforming your body for for the battle that kind of stuff and i don't know i just i thought it was really neat because i'm thinking about how uh, athletes discipline themselves and train for the competition what paul is saying for the christian as well we need to to discipline ourselves to to prepare for the fight but he says that this isn't a fight that we fight alone Right, he's saying, church body, you need to stand united together. Right? He, says, he says, stand in one spirit, one mind, working side by side. So he's not talking about, Mike, this is something that you do by yourself, or you know, each one of us, you do this on your own. He's saying, as a church, we do this together. We fight together. We battle these external pressures together. And I love that, because we have to stay focused on the mission together as we face external things. Um, one thing that we really harped on a lot when we planted the church, when we started the river, was that we were going to make sure that we kept the big thing the big thing and not let little things get in the way. And I think that that happens often in churches where churches split. Like you, it's, it's like a joke, but it's a joke because it's literally happened where churches split and break up because they're building a building and fighting about what color the carpet's going to be. Like that's really something that has happened, right? Like, are we gonna have a piano lead worship or guitar? Oh, guitar—the instrument of the devil, right? You know, churches split up over this kind of stuff. And but what we miss on that is that what's happening there is not two people fighting about something. What's happening is that they're letting the enemy, because you know, the church isn't standing united together. They're letting small things create cracks in the church, cause disunity, and then the church is falling apart, right? What we talked about when we launched this church is we want to keep the main thing the main thing. And I love this because something that a lot of places would destroy has been a beautiful thing for me. Like in this place, we have Baptists that go to church here. We have Catholics that go to church here. We have Methodists that go. Like we have a conglomerate. We have Church of God. We have all different types of people who, go, who are, make up the church, the river church. And we have made a promise that we're going to keep the main thing the main thing. We're going to keep the mission the main thing. And I love how that, how that works. And so we, I just want to encourage us as we continue as a church that we want to keep the main thing the main thing and being focused on our mission, which is being a place that worships God and sees souls change and life saved, right? I love it. It's always a lot easier to gossip than to love, right? But we want to make sure that we stay united on one front. So Paul, moving on, verse 28. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents, this is a sign of destruction for them, but of your deliverance. And this is from God. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, having the same thought or same struggle that you saw I had now here that I have. So as they're facing these external pressures and these um, persecutions, Paul's saying, stand up, man, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. As you stand together, you don't have nothing to be a, afraid of. And it's pretty cool because um, I've never really been persecuted. You know, like the worst thing that's ever happened to me for being Christian was when I was in high school, there was this Nazi guy that like stabbed me with a pencil. Yeah, stabbed me. Not like, like I know, I should have led with a pencil. He was sitting next to me in class, and he would just like cuss at me in German and stuff. And he's also a, sa- what, a Satanist. And like really, he just stabbed me one day with a pencil, and he was like, Say like this witchcrafter. He apologized to me one day though because I, I was at a grocery store and he came up and handed me some coupons to a Chicken Express. I was like, hey man, sorry about that. Here's some coupons to Chicken Express. It's like I worked there and I was like, bro, I am not eat, taking food from you. Are you kidding me? So, so I've never really been persecuted for being a Christian. Um, like Paul's talking talking from, from like a place of, I'm in prison. I've been beaten. You know, but what we do see as the, the worst persecution, I think, that's probably happening to the Christian church right now is, is society is kind of shifting against us in a way. Like, we're, um, like as you see, our culture is kind of shifting against us where we're kind of becoming the bad guys, right? Um, but I wanted to encourage you in this because nobody's going to leave here and kind of get beaten for being a Christian. But there are times that ha- things that happen to us that are maybe unfair. And there are things that maybe happen to us that you think, oh, I don't deserve this, or this isn't my fault, and as a Christian, like, this is, you know, whatever. I want to encourage you not to fight for your right. To party, Right? don't fight for your rights. Uh, I think, so for me, what, what happens for us is we... Um, we feel like we're pretty important, right? Like, so for me, if somebody cuts me off in traffic, I get mad because how dare they cut me off? Don't they know who I am? Like, I'm a pastor of the River Church. I'm important, right? Like, if you come here on a movie, you're going to see my face on the screen before the, before the movie starts. We have an advertisement that runs on the movie theater. Right? I want to encourage you, man. Don't, don't, don't necessarily fight for your right. When I mean, Paul's sitting in, Christ, in prison, don't fight for your right. When Jesus said things like love your enemies and bless those who persecute you, what he meant by that was love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. And so often what happens for us is we want to fight for our rights or we want to fight be, to, to be right. And I want to encourage you, don't necessarily fight to be right, but fight that Jesus is seen in the fight right? Like whenever they say husbands and wives, when you fight, don't fight so that you're right, but fight so that each, the other person wins. At the end of the day, fight for, right, so that each person gets the win out of it. And that's what I want to encourage you to do just in your daily life, right? I mean, the the most beautiful picture of that is we have our Savior, Jesus, as like they're putting the spear in his side saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think we have a beautiful example of that. And I just kind of wanted to encourage you. The main idea is that when we're faced with persecution, don't be afraid. But that we church would bind together and hope that Jesus would be seen through that persecution that we face, not that we'd be seen as right, but that the world would see Jesus in us. So Paul, here he does. He shifts from uh, this external unity to internal unity. and to be honest with you, this is kind of where it gets more challenging for us, because this is kind of the harder stuff, if you think about it. It's, it's well, I'm going to keep my on. First uh, four, verse two, he, said, or excuse me, two one if any if then if there's any encouragement in Christ any consolation in love any fellowship with the spirit any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by thinking the same way having the same love sharing the same feelings focusing on one goal so paul is saying it's not saying if as if It's not there. It's more of like because. So because there is encouragement in Christ, because we have consolation and love, because we have fellowship with one spirit, because we share affection and mercy, he's saying, fulfill my joy. And and it's kind of a weird way to say it, but Paul's kind of talking as a pastor. So he's saying, because I'm a pastor, because I love you, because I care about you, may do this for me i'd like fill this fulfill this joy it's going to give me so much joy to see you live your life this way and as i was just reading this it really kind of resonated with me because as a, as a pastor, like, I want to see good things happen in your lives. I want to see God working in your lives. Like, it's been so, I, one of my favorite things to do is to sit and hear how God is working in different people's lives. And so kind of what Paul's saying is, is do these things. Let me see God growing you. Let me see God challenging you. Let me see God transforming you. And he's saying, here's how that can happen. Saying, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, being focusing on one goal. So focused on one goal, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. That probably is one of the most challenging texts in the entire scriptures, in the entire Bible. Maybe for me. Focusing on one goal, doing nothing out of rivalry or conceit, But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Again, Paul comes back to this idea of a united church focusing on one goal, focusing on the mission. I think that it's important as a church that we're chasing the same thing and heading the same way. Paul says, do nothing out of rivalry. There's something in us, human nature, and maybe it's just me, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but just is constantly comparing ourselves to other people. Like you are, we're so happy with our house, we're so happy with our job, we're so happy with whatever it might be until your neighbor shows up and has a better one, right? Like there's no time for me to know how much I need a new phone than when I see somebody with the the newer phone, right? Like I love my iPhone 6. Oh, that's a 7? Man, my iPhone 6 stinks, right? Like I know it's a little a silly example but it's true. There's something in us as humans that is just constantly feeling this desire to compete and compare and to show show ourselves be validated better than somebody else. Like we even Katie shared about this in the nurture event that we had for moms a few weeks ago was how being a new mom like you look at other moms around you and you're just constantly comparing yourself. Right? Just constantly commit. And that's not, that's not something that's only for moms. That's not something that's only for me. That's for, I mean, that's just something that is in all of us. And it comes from this place, I think, of wanting to be validated. Like we want to be better. We want to be the best because we want to be validated. We want to be confirmed. And the truth is that we're looking for that validation in the wrong place. Our validation, our hope comes from Jesus alone. Then Paul moves on. He says, in humility... Consider others more important than yourselves. That's another hard one, right? To look at other people around us. It's one thing to say, okay, I'll let you be, maybe I'll let you be even to me, but I'm not going to do anything that's going to cause sacrifice for me to lift you up. Paul's challenging us. He's saying, consider others' needs more important than your own. This is constantly pulling against our grain. Like, a place where we can ask ourselves, are we... Um, do we struggle with this? Like, is it easy to celebrate other people, right? It says, everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. And church is say, Paul is saying that in the church, we have a calling to care for one another. In the church, we have a calling to be sensitive to each other's needs. And the, Paul is portraying this picture of the church. To me, I see this as a family that's united together. I see, like, if I think about my family, it's like, family's kind of a place where it's like, it's okay for me to talk bad about my mom, but if you say something, I'm going to beat you up, right? We shouldn't be saying bad things about each other, but we should at least have that feeling about for one another. Like, man, you say something, I'm going to take you down, man. Talk about that. Paul, the, desi- the, the the picture that Paul's painting here of the church is a church that's united, a church that loves each other, a church that cares about each other's needs and um, and not prosperity, like, well, each other's needs is better than the other. It's this, to me, I see it as this interactive thing. So how do we do this, like, practically, right? It's kind of a hard picture. It's a hard place to start. Like, I don't think it just happens easily, but I think it's something that we work for. Like, it's, it's a lot, I think it's a lot easier. If Paul's talking about two different types of unity. He's talking about a unity against the enemy or unity internally. I think it's a lot easier for us to unite against the enemy on the outside. Like if we were being persecuted, it'd be a lot easier for us to come together and fight off the enemy than it is for us to come together sometimes and to care about someone else as more than I care about myself. Don't you think? Like the the person that's really easy for me to care the most about is myself. It's hard for me to put somebody else higher than me, but we love to unite and go against an enemy, right? Right? And so I I think that this side of this, this part of Paul's uh, text here is a harder one for us. I think that's the harder one for us to do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, to, to humble ourselves and consider other people more than us, to look out for each other's needs. Like, it's, it's easy for us to, like, for example, if somebody's house burns down, it's really easy for us to, to gather up together and go help them. But how, what does that look like daily? What does that look like tomorrow when you go to work? What is, you know what I'm saying? I think that's where the real challenge comes in for us, and so I, I just, for me as a pastor, I never want to preach something and like make it this lofty thing and be like, "Oh, try to attain it and figure it out." But I will try to give you practical ways to live that out. Does that make sense? So at least something that you can say, "All right, this week here's how I can work on this. This week here's how I can live that out." And so this one was this was challenging for me this week as I was thinking, "How do we? How do we get there?" You know. And so I saw this thing that C.S. Lewis said in uh, Mere Christianity, and he's talking about, he calls him the humble man. I thought maybe this is a way, if we can attain or or look at this as an example, maybe this is a way that as a church body, we can at least kind of flush this out a little bit daily. So he's describing this humble man. He's saying the humble man who cares about you more than he cares about himself, the humble man who loves you, the humble man who's going to sacrifice himself for you. He looks a little bit different in your daily life than you might think. And so he's picturing this humble man who's kind of like, well, I'm just going to read it to you. I'll read it. To you. He says, "Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man that he will be what most people call humble nowadays." He won't be some, cord- some sort of greasy, smarmy person who is uh, always telling you that, of course, he is a nobody. So like we think of the humble man, and we think of the person um, that, that's going to put us as better than, a, than somebody that's always like, putting themselves down, things like that. Uh, C.S. Lewis is saying, that's not necessarily it, but here's what this might look like in our daily lives, our daily interactions. He says, probably all you will think about him is that he seemed cheerful, intelligent chap, He seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you had to say to him. Interesting. (laughs) If you dislike him, which there's a chance that we probably would dislike this guy because we don't like happy people, right? just kidding. If you dislike him, it would be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. What I see here in this guy is somebody who's not trying to prove his humbleness, like, oh, woe is me, or trying to prove, like, you're better than me but someone who genuinely is just taking an interest in other people. Genuinely looking at someone and seeing them and wanting to focus on them and wanting to love them daily, even in conversation. Like, I'm going to take, I don't know, it, it was just a cool picture to me. And he finishes it with this. He says, so probably all you would think about him is that he seemed a cheerful and intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you had to say to him. If you disliked him at all, it would be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. I love this. He will. He will not be thinking about humility, so he won't be necessarily trying to be humble. He won't be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. And I think that's a beautiful challenge for us. And so, kind of as we're closing out, I wanted to give us this challenge for this week. It's kind of a twofold challenge. So, this week, as you go out, if you do face some persecution or you do feel um, some external things against you, I want to challenge you to not fight for your rights but fight to show Jesus, fight to reveal Jesus in that situation. And then secondly, I want to challenge you to reflect on the conversations that you have this week. I want to challenge you to reflect on your interactions with your, the person at Starbucks that you see, with the people that you work with, with your family members, with your husbands or wives, your kids, all the different people that you're going to interact with this week. I want to challenge you after you leave conversations to reflect on those. And what I want you to reflect on is when you were in that conversation, what were you saying um, maybe non-verbally? How were you approaching that situation? Were you talking to that person with your own self interests Like were you talking to them trying to get something out of them? Or were you talking to them looking at them as the important person in that conversation? Were you looking at them as thinking, how can I encourage you? How can I lift you up? How can I show you know, show Jesus to you. That sounds like a big, crazy, lofty thing, but just love them, man. How can I show this person that I love them and genuinely in our conversations, step back and take an interest in that person? And I think that if we practice that, if we challenge ourselves to do that, then maybe we could become to shift. And maybe, man, maybe you're already there. Maybe this is just me that's like the selfish jerk. I don't know. <laughs> it could be not that far off because I can definitely be that. But maybe if we look at that, we'll, we'll begin to become a people and transform into people that can humbly consider others more important. Like if we can just consider other people more important than ourselves and our conversations, I think that'll just naturally grow. I think that'll naturally grow. If we can look in our conversation and consider others more important and genuinely take an interest in them, I think that we could become the kind of people that could say, hey, I wasn't thinking about being humble. I wasn't thinking about trying to love you or show you how great I think you are. I wasn't actually thinking about myself at all. It's just a natural thing that God is transforming in me. Because at the end of the day, the goal is we want to show Jesus to others. And so that's kind of how I want to challenge you this week. It's really practical, I guess. But I want to challenge you in your conversations, step back and analyze your own conversations that you have with people. What was the goal on that? What was I trying to achieve? Was I just looking to get something out of that person or was I looking to love them, just to show them I care? Was I just showing them that they were the important person in the conversation, right? Because I've been this person and we have all know the person that whenever uh, we talk to them, we know that they're just waiting for us to shut up so that they can talk, right? And if you don't know anybody like that, guess who that person is, right? With that said, let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you so much for this, this morning and just being able to worship you Father, I pray that you would challenge us to be a church that's unified against external pressures and external battles, that we would come together and that we would, when we're pressed, when we face trials and tribulations, that what would come out of us is love and compassion for the world around us. What would come out of us reveals you. And I pray that in our lives as a church, that that we would be able to be people who reveal in us a love and a desire for others that's greater than ourselves, that we would be able to humble, humble ourselves um, and interact as a family, lifting the other person up, lifting each other up, loving each other, and genuinely considering others as more important than ourselves. Father, I pray that you would help us to be that kind of people that as we go out into our week, as we go out into our week, that we would be able to analyze our conversations and genuinely uh, just check ourselves out and say, man, what am I trying to attain in this conversation? Am I showing love? Am I taking an interest in other people? Am I just being selfish? Am I somebody that's just looking to see what I can get out of other people? Well, I pray that what's revealed in us would be you and what's revealed in us would be, it would be a reflection of this, of our citizenship. We're citizens of heaven, Lord, and I pray that as Paul's challenge this morning, that what will be revealed in us is you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.